Say amen if you're there. John 4, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is indeed the Savior of the world. Bishop, will you pray over the remaining of this service? The title for today's message will be The Taste of Truth. John 4:39 that we read, it says many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I have preached this I think maybe once or twice at least this portion of scripture and, and the Lord has just been dealing over and over and over with me in several areas. And the story begins when Jesus comes into this town and he sees the woman by the well. And he begins to talk with her. And you know the discourse. We've studied it. We've taught it. We've heard it preached. We've listened to it. We've read it ourselves many times. But she begins to go through the town and she begins to tell the town everything that the Lord Jesus had told her. And it says that they're hearing her testimony. And they start to believe in the words that she is saying. And then it says in verse 40 that the Samaritans came to Jesus because they heard somebody's testimony. Because the testimony of a woman, they began to come to Jesus. And they began to ask him to stay there and to teach him, uh, to teach them and begin to minister to them. And it says that many more in verse 41 began to believe because of his word. So there's a transformation that's happening that at the beginning they were believing because of somebody else's testimony. And somebody else's testimony led them to Christ. But when they began to hang around Jesus and they began to talk with Jesus, that their belief began to go from what somebody else was saying to what the Lord was saying. The belief, the faith is beginning to grow in stages. And it says in verse 42, And then they began to say to the woman, that it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have now heard for ourselves, and now we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So they went from hearing that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had been discovered and was in their town visiting. They went from hearing a preacher to then going to the Lord from belief in Him and then receiving the Word of God from God. And their belief in them went from believing into knowing. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school today that there is a difference from knowing something and have a revelation about something. There is something about believing from somebody else from believing right from the source. When Jesus 
I can stand up here all afternoon and I can tell you how good God is. I can preach to you how great God is. I can begin to shout how wonderful God is and you can receive it in the name of Jesus. You can believe it with all your heart but unless you begin to hang around this wonderful Jesus, unless you begin to talk to this marvelous Jesus, unless you begin to walk with this great God, all you'll have is my testimony. But when you begin to get beside our Creator, our Maker, the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings, you'll begin to have an experience with Him that you'll go from believing God is great to knowing God is great. We can believe that He can heal, but unless one of us falls sick and is miraculously healed, all we'll know is somebody else's testimony. But when we have a move of God in our walk, when we have an experience with the Lord, we go from a believer to a worshiper. Said they, they told her, they said, hey, we believed you in the beginning. But now that we have seen it for ourselves, now that we have heard it for ourselves, he, they said, now we know. What they were saying is beyond a shadow of a doubt. All fear has been removed. All doubts have been taken down. All imaginations have been cast away. For now, the words that you spoke, you had found the Messiah. Now we know for ourselves that this is the Savior of the world. You might be here today because a friend invited you. This might be the first time you've ever been in this church. It might be the tenth time. It might be the hundredth time. Or this might be the hundredth year you've been here. But the fact is, everything I preach to you, you can receive it, but you've got to have a move of God in your life to begin to understand it. Jesus left Samaria, he came into Galilee. And the scripture says that there was a man and he heard that Jesus had come into Galilee. And he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For his son was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my children dies. But Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And it says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. So the man at first hears about the wondrous works of Jesus Christ. The man is told of the rumors and the stories and the words that Jesus had been doing and speaking throughout Israel. And he knew of him. And he knew that Jesus was a healer. He knew that Jesus was doing the impossible. He knew and heard that Jesus had turned water into wine. He had seen all of his friends tell these stories. He had listened intently as they told about a man that could do things that no other man could do. And when this man came into his, his countryside, the man had a need in his life. Is anybody here with a need in your life? Well, there is a God that has entered into your countryside today. This God has a name, and that name is Jesus. And I have been sent here by Jesus to tell you that whatever needs you have in your life, Jesus is able to take care of it. 
whatever need it is that you are facing, that there is a God in heaven that knows exactly where you're at. And he knows exactly what it's going to take to manage the situation. He's the God that knows exactly where the problem is and what it's going to take to fix it. I had neurologists come into my son's hospital room and I appreciated their candidness and them being bluntly honest with me. I'm that kind of person. I don't like to beat around the bush. I don't like to talk into circles. Just, just tell me what's going on. And I asked the neurologist, I said, why now? That's all I got out of my mouth. I said, why now? And he was already ready. He said, we don't know why now. And we never will. He said, we do not know what causes seizures within people. He said, we will try to guess. We will try to figure out. He said, but the truth of the matter is that the brain is filled with a bunch of electrical circuits and we don't understand why there's an interruption in the electrical circuit that causes seizures. We do not know why. And I appreciated him giving it to me straight. But then when he left, I said, Lord, I've been here before. This is no new thing in my life. 21 years ago, I was sitting in this same hospital in a room just like this. I had pediatric neurologists in that room, and they told me a prognosis of my son. They tried to tell me his future. They tried to tell me what we would live with, with a life my son would leave, and none of them had an idea. None of them hit it. None of them got it right. They told me my son would be an invalid, that he would never have cognitive thought, that he would never be able to communicate with us, that he would never be able to express emotions or feelings or have a base understanding of the life around him. They said he'd never walk. They said he'd never be able to communicate. said that he would never be able to show his mom and I love. Brother Don, that's just the beginning of the list of wrongs. It told me that all the PhDs that were in that room, not a one of them knew what they were talking about. Not one of them. They all tried to tell me based on their teaching, based on their experience, the problem is none of them had an experience with Jesus. They're trying to tell me what science can do. They're trying to tell me what their medical equipment can do. And I appreciate doctors. I appreciate the profession. I appreciate hospitals. I get it. I just took my son there. I understand that there's things in our lives that God puts as a help. But they're not the miracle workers. They're not the way makers. They can be instruments used from heaven. But they are not the God of heaven. They didn't make my son. They didn't create my son. They didn't design my son. They didn't give him limitations or expectations. My God in heaven, Jesus, made him just as his will was. We struggled and I said, Lord, why? 
Why? And God gave me the scripture in John 9 that says, when the disciples began to ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And God said, neither had sinned, but this man was created this way for my glory. You might say, what glory has Boston shown? If you say that, you don't know Boston at all, and you don't know the walk of my son amongst this church. You don't know how many times what God has done through him. God have, people have witnessed it, and they've said, if God's moving in Boston, God will move in my life. But this man heard that Jesus was in town, and he said, Lord, come, because my son's dying. And God said, no, but you go and your son will live. And so this man, it says in John 4, 51, it says, as he was going down, that his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour that his son had gotten better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And in verse 53, it says that the father knew that that was the very hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And then the word of God says, and he himself believed. Believed. And all his household. But verse 50, previous said that he believed Jesus when he told him it. He said that the man heard the words of God and he believed him and so he went down. But then it says in verse 53, after this happened, it says, but now he believed. That there was something that happened in the faith. That there are times when Jesus will visit us and he'll say, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to deliver you from your dilemma. I'm going to deliver you from your disaster. And we can testify about what God told us he was going to do. But when we testify before the trial, that's one form of faith. But when we are worshiping at the end of that trial, our faith was transformed from just believing to a worshiping knowledge of revelation that our God completes that that he starts, that our God does that which he says he'll do. We then understand that when our God shows up and God begins to fill us with promise, we understand and now we know that we serve a God who never lets us down. God, he visited Abraham. I told you last week that I was going to preach about Abraham. Some of you probably been sitting around just waiting. Pastor, going to forget? No, I'm not going to forget. But Abraham was serving God and was a man of God and called of God. You got to remember, Abraham was living in Babylon and he was doing his own thing and he was having his own life. And he was older and God visited him and said, I want you to leave your hometown, your country, and I want you to go 
and you're going to walk a land that's not your own. You're going to walk the boundaries of a place that you've never known. But I'm going to give the land that your foot touches to the seed to your descendants. And I'm going to make you a father of many nations and, and your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren and so on will be as numerous as the stars and as numerous as the sand on the beaches. And Abraham obeys God and begins to follow God. But what I'm trying to show you is that Abraham had faith in God. And Abraham had faith enough to be obedient to God and to follow God into a strange place, into a place that he had never been before. That Abraham was following the voice of God and not of man. That Abraham was uprooting his family and all his friends and all his heritage were thinking he was nuts, that he fell off his rocker, that he's crazy. Because God did not have a habit of visiting and speaking to man when he showed up at Abraham's doorstep. The world was still rebuilding after the flood with Noah. And Abraham has this, this weird, supernatural, unheard of experience with God. And he tells his, his family, he says, you're, you're not going to believe this. But I met God today. And he told me he's going to do great things in this family. And he takes his family and he moves. And along the journey, Abraham is given Isaac. And Abraham is already a man of faith. He's already an obedient man of faith. He's already a great man of faith. And God visits him. And it says that God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, this promised son, and I want you to take him on top of the mountain. I want you to offer him a sacrifice. Anybody remember the tongues and interpretation? Genesis 22, 7, And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went together. At this point right here, Abraham had faith. Abraham's faith was obedient and even led him onto the mountaintop with his son. And Abraham, while he's on the mountain, was still continuing to walk in faith. And he even said to his son, Son, God will provide an offering. But Abraham is walking in a realm of faith and trust and obedience in God. But if I could see in the back of Abraham's mind, I know that there would have been the same thought that runs through our mind. Please, God, let this work. Please, God, let this work. Lord, be true. Lord, answer my faith. Honor my faith. Oh, please, God. Please, God, provide an offering. He was a man just like every one of us else. He was human. He, he had his, his moments, his weakness. He had his doubts in God. That's why there was Ishmael. But he's doing in obedience, sometimes walking in faith. Bishops taught us to this over the years. 
I taught in Sunday school that sometimes I say hallelujah and if it's on point, I'm usually faking it. Because I'm the guy that's always clapping off beat. I don't know when to say amen properly. I don't know when to say hallelujah on the mark. I said if you hear an awkward hallelujah, you know it's legit. And Abraham I see is the same kind of man. And he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just being obedient. And God says, go kill your son. And who does this? Abraham didn't have a Bible. He's walking by faith. And the whole time in the back of his mind, I'm sure there's this thought of, oh, Lord, if there's ever a time to come by, it's now. And I'm sure he's prayed the same prayer that we pray. That when we've committed to a thing that God's called us to, and you, you sell everything, and you jump all in, and you say, God, I'm all in, I give you everything, and you're climbing that mountain in faith, and you're walking after the words of God, and you put everything, all your eggs are in one basket, and it comes to the point that you must kill your son. You're saying, God, see my heart. See my intentions, because this is crazy, but I'm going to do it. So I need you to come by because I've committed to you. Scripture says in verse 13 that Abraham lifts his eyes and he looks. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram it doesn't talk about it right here, but I'm sure he was weeping. I'm sure he was bawling like a baby. That moment when you've been talking about God, you've been preaching about God, you've been acting like God's moving, you've been acting like God's been there, and everybody thinks you're a fool, everybody thinks you're crazy, everybody thinks you're a nutcase. And you're saying God is going to do something. God is going to do something. And the whole time you're like, Lord, I'm out on a limb. There's no safety net. I jumped out of this plane with only one chute. There's no backup. God, you're the one that told me to take the leap of faith. And that, ain't, that ram that's caught, I can see his heart begin to go, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you do what you say. He goes up to the ram. It says that he offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. The scripture is very short here. But you've got to put yourself into what's going down and the emotions and the experience of what's happening. says that Abraham, after this took place, it says that Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You know we sing the song Jehovah-Jireh, but we know that Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord provides. The Lord will provide is what Jehovah Jireh means. 
But Jehovah Jireh was never issued until after the moment that God had provided. Abraham knew that God would provide, for he told his son on the journey, God will provide. But the place of that situation and the place of that experience was not life-changing until he heard the sound of a sacrifice. The story that we opened with, with the woman at the well... You know, when she went to talk to the town, I want to read a couple verses before it. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And he said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. He said, but the hour is coming, and this is where we're going. He said, the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers, the true worshipers, We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. But those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The spirit that we worship him in is when we're climbing the mountain and we're saying, my spirit testifies that God will provide. Our spirit, the Holy Ghost that's in us, testifies with our spirit. And we know that God will deliver. And we say that God will provide. And we worship him for those things in the spirit. But the truth only comes by experiencing the spiritual things we believe in. That went over good. I can teach you that your sins will be forgiven when you say, Lord, help me, I'm sorry, I plead the blood. I can tell you that your sins are gone, gone, gone. You can believe it. You can, your spirit can testify with it. But you will not know the truth that sins are gone, gone, gone until you are buried in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. You can know that God forgives. You can believe that God forgives. Your spirit will be drawn to forgiveness. But you will not have the knowledge of the truth unless you go down. I've been sent here to tell somebody that every experience you're going through, 
is to bring you to the knowledge of God in a situation you need to know. I'm telling you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know the truth about God, that God heals. I have watched God heal me in the emergency room. I've been told by doctors, by hematologists, blood docs, that I was dead. I was a dead man walking. But I know now because I felt the power of the living God heal my body. You see, when I'm worshiping him for being a healer, I'm not worshiping him because he healed you. I worship him in my spirit and in the knowledge of truth that he heals because I've been healed. He said that he's searching for some to worship him in spirit and in truth. The reason you're going through what you're going through is because God is trying to make you a true worshiper. That you will worship him not only in word, not only in praise, not only in spirit, but you will have the truth of the situation in your worship. How can I tell you that God is a miracle-working God if I've not seen and experienced a miracle? How can we tell people that Jesus forgives if we've never been buried in the name of Jesus? How can we tell people that they can receive the baptism of the gift of the baptism of the Spirit if we've never spoken tongues? Brother Eloy, you guys are going through some things. I'm telling you in the name of Jesus that when you come out of the other side, there's going to be an attachment to the name of Jesus in your life. The miracle-working God you've heard me testify about, you're going to be able to stand before this congregation and say, I know Jesus, the miracle worker. There's some of you that are sick in your body. And you know that Jesus is a healer, but you're getting ready to have a testimony in your step, and you're going to be worshiping in this altar, in the Spirit, but you're going to be worshiping with the truth that God is healed because He's healed you. The reason we go through things is so that we get a revelation of another aspect of God. You tell me God is good, I want to know God's good. You tell me God heals, I want to know God heals. You tell me God blesses, I want to know the blessings of God. Musicians would come, I'm trying to bring this to a close. This isn't a popular scripture with most people, but it won't offend you because you worship God in spirit and truth. But Malachi, he says, will a man rob God? He says, yet you're robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and offerings. 
He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He tells him, he says, bring the tithe in, and thereby put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you a blessing until there is no more need. I'm not preaching on tithing, but I'm using a scripture that uses tithing as the example. You see, there was a problem between man and God. And God says, I'll tell you the problem. The problem is, you've been robbing me. And he said, stop robbing me and put my word to test and see if I won't pour out abundance on you. You see, I feel to tell you that there are some people that have been robbing God and I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about worshiping Him in truth. God wants me to put a challenge before you that I challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ with all authority in that name to put Him to test. See if God will not heal you. See if God will not deliver you. See if God will not bless you. It will not come by for you. Pastor, how do I put him to test? It said, give everything you've got. Give everything you've got. Begin to pour your life out to Jesus. Give everything within you. Give your attitude. Give your personality. Give your opinions. Give your thoughts to God. Give your fears to God. Give your worry to God. Give your anxiety to God. Give Him everything you've got and put Him to test and see if He will not provide for you. Give Him the report of the doctors and see if he will not heal you. Brother Jack, give him the reports of divorce and see if he won't provide for you. Give him the diagnosis and see if God will not fix the situation. We say that God is a healer. We've already worshipped in this service that God is a, amazing and a blesser and a healer and a provider. But I feel in my spirit that there's people that you've been worshipping in the spirit of it, but you don't have the truth of the matter. And it says that he is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we're going to come to the truth, we've got to sell it out and give it to him and go through the process. Yeah. Yeah. The tongues and interpretation that God used Bishop last Sunday. He said, I'm calling you to go to the mountaintop. Will you not lay your life down as a sacrifice? Will you not be afraid to feel the pain of the dagger? You would all stand. 
I know it's quiet, but I feel that God is ministering to somebody. Brother King, it's never too late to learn something more about God. I know you've walked and talked with Him a long time in your life. But it's not too late. You keep requesting prayer, and I keep praying, but I feel that God is going to reveal the truth of it. Young people, you can believe that Jesus is God. He's the God of your mom and dad. But you've got to go to a mountaintop with Him so that you know the truth that He is your God. I need to taste the truth today. Lord, I want to taste it. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would sweep over this congregation right now. Lord, you know the hearts, you know every need that's in this house. How do you know every situation that people are here? You know the things they've been going through. You know the giants they've been fighting. You know the darkness that's been in the room. God, I know that they know you're the light. But God, I'm praying that the truth of the light would begin to shine bright in their eyes, in the heart, in their soul, that they would begin to see and understand the pathway that you've got them on. I'm opening this altar right now. Brother Paul and Sister Fran already beat us to the punch. I'm wondering if there's not anybody that's willing to say, God, I'm going to walk this mountain in the name of Jesus. I know that you're a provider. But Lord, I'm willing to go through the process so that I get the revelation that you are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, I want a taste of the truth. Lord, I not only want to worship you in spirit, but I want to worship you in the truth of the matter. I said, would you come? Would you find a place of prayer before the Lord? <laughs> the Lord is reaching. The Lord is calling. 